Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, it contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. It also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad to have you with us this week and hope that we get to your question this week if you've given us one lately to answer. And our view and new viewers might wonder what that's all about. Well, that's what we do on this program is answer viewers' questions. Uh, we want people to know their Bible a little bit better, and we found the best way to do that is not just tell you what we think you ought to know, uh, but let you ask what you'd like to know. So we take questions during the program or any time during the week, really. Have a phone number or website you can use. Get in touch with us and uh, tell us what's on your mind. Any kind of question about the Bible or life that the Bible might have something to say about, Give us a try to see if we can find an answer in the Bible to that. So that's the way the program operates. Let me introduce my co-host here, Mr. Toby Lever. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And we got uh, some good questions saved up, but we always start with one for the audience to see if they know it. How many men did Gideon take to war? A little bit of Bible trivia there, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. How many men did Gideon take to war? And it looks like you drew the first one today, Toby, so I you did. get to start the show. Uh, <laughs> a student wants to know, are all sins equal, or are some sins, some greater than others? Well, the strict definition of sin is that sin is doing anything that violates a commandment of God. There are kind of two types, I like to think, of sins. Uh, the sins of commission, the things, things that, that you're doing that God specifically says, don't do that, or the sins of omission, which is God says He wants you to do something and you don't do it. So there's a couple of different types of sin, but really any uh, sin, no matter how you look at it, is simply doing uh, what God doesn't want to be done and uh, violating His will. That's where the, the problem becomes. Of course, we understand that sins are different. Uh, there is, you know, a child telling what we might call a little white lie all the way up to uh, sins that we would uh, punish for maybe the death penalty or a life sentence in jail like murder or uh, serial killer, killing and something like that. And, and there's a big spectrum in our laws of uh, various grades and types and kinds of lawbreaking. Well, in God's eyes, uh, all lawbreaking separates us from Him. Uh, and even though in our way of thinking there are different consequences and different uh, results of those sins, uh, the bottom line is all of it separates us from God. The Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but uh, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. He's talking there about physical death. And I think what John is saying is what we understand to be true, that not every sin uh, has a major consequence. But just because it doesn't have a, a major consequence, it doesn't mean it doesn't separate us from our Lord. I think the best way to understand this is Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 23, which we'll look at together on the screen. 
Uh, there, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he would say just three chapters earlier uh, that all have sinned and fall short. And so all sin is falling short, <laughs> missing that mark. Uh, and the only way that we can deal with that is through the gift of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you, Toby. Um, interesting question here. A viewer wants to know, why did Jesus tell people that He healed not to tell anyone? When He healed somebody, so occasionally He'd tell them, now you go on home and don't tell anybody about this. And that does seem a little odd. Uh, in the big picture, He probably didn't do that real often. He did tell some people that. And as you read through the Gospel accounts, you'll find one after the other where He healed a blind man or a cripple or somebody and said, no, don't kind of keep that quiet. Uh, don't let anybody know. But there's also passages where He healed huge crowds of people and uh, all of that. So maybe in the overall percentage it wasn't that many, but He did tell a few people that. But the question is, why did He tell anybody that? Uh, one answer that I think is probably a pretty good possibility we find in the, an example of it in John chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. Let's read that together. This is when he was at the wedding and it's actually going to be his first miracle. His uh, mother asked him to turn the water into wine because the host had run out. When the wine ran out the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So there's a clue. There was a timetable to Jesus revealing Himself and letting people know who He was. Uh, bear in mind He was about 30 years old at this time and nobody knew, uh, few people knew, but not many uh, knew that He was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah. So He had kept it secret, I guess you could say, for 30 years. Uh, it wasn't time yet in God's timetable for Him to start doing miracles, He said. Uh, but he either bent the rules or <laughs> arranged it somehow where he went ahead and did the miracle for his mother. He was a good son. Uh, but, but anyhow, uh, something to do with the timetable of revealing himself, maybe. I think another possibility, and the, the Bible doesn't tell us that he told him this because of this. Uh, so here's another possibility. It wasn't his purpose to heal people. He didn't come to earth to heal the sick, uh, to make the earth, everybody healthy, or feed all the hungry. That wasn't what He came here for. He came to seek the lost. But He did heal some people and He fed some people and uh, a few times. He, it wasn't His purpose though, so He didn't really need any more people to come to Him for healing. So maybe He was telling these individuals, uh, don't go advertising this. I've already got huge crowds coming. And maybe that was the answer. It tended to be people that were more individuals in different cities. Uh, we read about the crowds that came, and they're called multitudes, which is that's a whole bunch of people. Uh, there's stories where they press him on him so much he had to escape in a boat. There's one story where he couldn't even get into a house to to eat lunch because there were so many people around. Uh, so maybe he was just saying, I. Don't tell anybody about this. I don't need any more people coming to be healed. And I thought of one other possibility, and we'll do this quick. The third possibility is that he was just being nice to those people. He was saving them trouble. 
by telling them, don't tell anybody about this because there's going to be people coming that want to see the blind guy that Jesus healed in this town. They want to see the cripple that Jesus healed in this town. So just be quiet about it and you'll have a lot more peaceful life. Uh, you won't have crowds following you around. Uh, so maybe he was just being nice to them. I don't know. We don't know why Jesus told them that. Uh, most likely it wasn't time to advertise that he was doing miracles yet. But good question, interesting thing to think about. Here's a sort of a touchy question. <laughs> a viewer wants to know, uh, will our pets be in heaven? Well, my answer to that is if God wants our pets to be in heaven, they will be in heaven. Uh, the truth is the Bible doesn't precisely say on this matter. Of course, the reason it's so touchy is because especially if you have a pet who you love dearly and if you've lost that pet, uh, it can be, just be a real heartbreaking thing and you want to know if you'll ever see them again. I, I think it's a wonderful thing that God's given us animals and He has blessed uh, the earth with them and He's given them to us for different purposes. And I think one of, and of course they serve practical utilitarian purposes, but some animals are just to give us love and affection and you see stories all the time of animals and the good that they do visiting nursing homes or sick uh, wards uh, for the for young children and disabled uh, folks. It, it, they do a world of good. The Bible just doesn't say as to whether or not they'll be in eternity with us. Uh, Genesis 1 chapter 26, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, and let's read that together on the screen. God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness let them rule, that's a key word there, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Uh, you and I, human beings, are created in God's image. That is something different from all the other created order. We have a part of us that, that is eternal and like God. Um, and so in some way we're different from the animal. Lots of ways we're different from the animals. We just aren't told as to whether or not uh, they will be in heaven with us. But I stand by my first answer that if uh, they need to be there and God knows we need them there uh, and they, if God decides it, they'll be there. Solomon said, uh, who knows if the spirit of the animal uh, goes uh, down into the earth uh, and I think that's a pretty good answer for this question. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we don't really know, and the Scripture doesn't tell us uh, precisely. So uh, God has told us that heaven will be perfect, and uh, so whatever's there will be just exactly the right thing. All right. Yeah, it's best just kind of leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> I hope I danced around that no, well enough. pretty well. <laughs> Some people at home may be saying, what are they talking about? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of pet lovers out there that take yeah. this real seriously. Uh, we don't get what I call hate mail or hate calls on very much at all. I mean, very, very rarely people uh, disagree vehemently with us. But this is one that will, uh, when we point out that the Bible doesn't say pets have souls and all that, we get some people all excited because... They want Fifi up there with yeah. them, so the uh, <laughs> Bible doesn't say. That's a yeah. good answer. <laughs> All right, let me take this moment and tell you a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we like the 30 minutes that we get to study with you each week, but uh, there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we ever get covered. So we've got some free Bible materials that we're happy to send to you in the mail. 
they are coming in the form of different courses. This is the first course you see on the screen right now. There are eight lessons in it, and you just sit down with your own Bible in the privacy of your own home and uh, read through the lesson and read the parts of the Bible that it tells you and then answer a few questions. And When you're done with that lesson, you'll know a whole lot more about whatever that topic was. For instance, you see the first two lessons scrolling up here, the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's where you start. So when you're finished with that first lesson about the Old Testament, uh, you'll probably know more about the Old Testament than you ever did before. You'll know a lot about who wrote it and why and what's in it and the reason for it. Uh, you return that to us and then we'll send you the next one on the New Testament and you'll learn a lot about the New Testament. So that's the way the program works. Uh, we've had thousands of people over the years take us up on this free offer and tell us how much they learned and how much they appreciate it. So if you want to know more about your Bible, study in your own home, give us a phone call or log on to the website, tell us you'd like that free course and we'll get it started for you. All right, viewer wants to know about uh, sin here. Specific one, can God's grace forgive me for taking painkillers for six years if I'm not able to stop before I die? All right, interesting question here. Our viewer kind of has in his mind that he knows taking these painkillers, he's addicted to them, he or she, I don't know which, uh, is addicted to them and needs to stop but just can't stop. And addictions are that way. We get physically dependent on things, and especially prescription drugs these days are a wicked, wicked thing for many people. Uh, and it just seems impossible to stop. Uh, and he wants to stop, but he wants to know if I can't stop, if I don't get stopped somehow and die, will God's grace cover me? Okay. <coughs> a little misconception here. The answer is yes. God's grace is able to cover that. Uh, we are all sinners. Uh, Toby talked about that earlier, about little <laughs> sins and big sins and all that. Uh, there are different kinds of sins. There are different degrees of sin. We understand that, but sin is sin. And we all need our sins forgiven. Uh, and God's grace is what does that. That's what covers that. Now, the concept in this viewer's mind evidently is if I can't stop sinning, then will I still get to go to heaven? Well, uh, nobody ever really stops sinning. Uh, we'd have to, uh, we all continue to sin. Some people defeat it more thoroughly than others, but uh, we, we don't stop sinning so we can get to heaven. God's grace covers that. What we stop sinning for is so we can be more Christ-like because He saved us. We want to be more Christ-like because of what He's forgiven uh, so that we can be the best example of Him here on this earth. We can represent Him well to other people. Uh, he saved us and we want to walk worthy of that salvation, walk worthy of our calling. We want to be the best example that we can. So uh, that's the motivation to stop sinning. I realize addictions are kind of special in some way, but uh, God's grace will also help you stop that sinning. You may need to get some professional help, some professional counseling, uh, physical and uh, mental kind of doctors to, to help you with this. Uh, but the stopping sinning is not what gets us to heaven. If so, none of us would get there. God's grace is what gets us to heaven. So yes, God's grace can cover that sin. Uh, please do everything you can to stop uh, for your family and you and 
you're representing Christ here on earth. All right, Toby. All right, a tax question for the next uh, <laughs> viewer wants to know, when you give to the church, is it acceptable to, to claim a tax deduction? Isn't that asking the government to give us something in return for our giving? All right, well, two questions here. And uh, my first, uh, the first question, is it acceptable to a claim a tax deduction? And I think, yes, it is acceptable um, because it's perfectly legal. Um, uh, just as you would take any other tax deduction, a tax deduction isn't uh, asking the government to give you something. It's just saying, hey, this is part of my income uh, that you've said uh, isn't subject to taxes, and this is a uh, well, portion of that that I gave, and it's not subject to taxation. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Of course, got to keep your records and all of that, but that's perfectly acceptable. Uh, when you itemize, you're just going through and saying, here are some things that I shouldn't have to be taxed. Part of my income shouldn't be taxed because I put it toward these things, whether it's you know, uh, paying the mortgage on your house, as an example, the interest there is tax deductible. Nothing wrong with taking that. It, it's part of the, the tax law. So if that law changes, of course, then that would be unacceptable. <clears throat> uh, now, the, question, the second question is, isn't that asking the government to give us something in return for our giving? Well, I, I don't think if anyone is giving for the sole purpose of the tax deduction, they have missed the whole point of giving, especially in the Christian faith. Jesus says more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, and I'm a firm believer that we cannot outgive the Lord. So uh, I just there's so many blessings in it. The tax deduction uh, is probably at the absolute bottom of the list. I uh, mentioned if the law ever changed. I, if the law ever did change, I, I would think and, and believe and hope that Christians would still give because our Lord commanded and He's a higher authority than the government and uh, regardless of whether it was a tax deduction or not. So it, it no, it's not asking the government to give you something in return. It's just uh, simply abiding by the law. Uh, Jesus Himself had to pay taxes. Uh, there's a story of him having to pay the temple tax and he, uh, they catch a fish and they pull out the coin and so forth. Um, and so as Christians, we live under the laws of the land and uh, we should absolutely uh, do, pay everything that we owe and, and uh, be absolutely honest in our tax returns and our records and so forth. Um, but there's no, nothing wrong with taking that or any other deduction. Let's read from Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 17 and following. Uh, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. And I, I think the Lord's answer is the best answer concerning uh, taxes and giving. But no, no problem taking the deduction at all. Okay. All righty. We got an uh, interesting question about rebaptism. The viewer wants to know, does one need to be rebaptized if they can't remember their baptism, and then they added the point that uh, the reason was senility. The person is old and can't remember their baptism. Now, just the first part of that question, I'd answer one way, but since we got the extra word there, I'd answer it another <laughs> way. Uh, the first part, if you can't remember your baptism, should you be rebaptized? Well, uh, yeah, that means you were baptized so young that you didn't know anything about what you were doing. Uh, your parents told you you were baptized maybe, but you, you didn't have anything to do with it or you didn't, were too young to remember it. So, yeah, you probably ought to be baptized. Uh, not really re-baptized because if you didn't know what you were doing or remember it, then you really weren't. Uh, 
maybe you ought to be baptized. But uh, then the person added that word because of senility. This person's mind is uh, going and they don't remember their baptism. Well, that's a whole different story. Uh, and the answer to that is definitely no. A person doesn't need to be rebaptized because of that. Uh, let me just give you a personal example. My parents were married almost 60 years, and their mom got Alzheimer's, and by the end of her life, uh, she didn't even recognize dad. Uh, she wondered who that man was that was coming into her house every once in a while. Uh, so she, her mind was not remembering that. She didn't love him any less. Her mind was just diseased. It wasn't able to make that connection there of who he really was. Uh, she certainly didn't need to be married again. Uh, that would be the equivalent here. So, no, if uh, your parent or whoever you're talking about uh, is suffering from dementia and senility and can't remember facts of their life, it has nothing to do with how much they love God and their salvation. So, I think that's the right answer. We take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we like to talk about some each week because Churches of Christ are the ones who keep us on the air and sponsor us. You may notice that we never ask for money on this program. That's because folks at uh, places like these uh, help us stay on the air, and we appreciate it. Uh, Churches of Christ, these are all in uh, central Kansas here. Uh, the church in Douglas, fine group of folks there. Emporia, Kansas, up the Turnpike a little ways, and Eureka has a great uh, group of people that meet together on Sundays to worship and uh, serve God. Uh, those congregations of the Churches of Christ uh, help Know Your Bible stay on the air, and if you know somebody that attends one of those, you might tell them thank you. Uh, of course, if you're looking for a church home and you live close to one of those communities, you'd find a great group of folks that study and think about the Bible like we do here on Know Your Bible, so drop in and give them a visit sometime. Of course, anywhere you're watching from, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. We'd invite you to thank them also or drop in and visit them. You're welcome anytime at any Church of Christ. All right, Toby, speaking of the Lord's yep, Day. We have a <laughs> bit of a semantic question. That's okay. What is the difference between the Lord's Day and the Day of the Lord? Well, that's a very astute question. Someone's paying attention because uh, they are two very different things. The Lord's Day refers to a Sunday, Resurrection Day, the Lord's Day. The, that is in the New Testament. We understand that's the first day of the week. That's when Christians came together to, to worship and pray and break bread and give and, and and care for one another. And that's the, the example we follow today. That's why most uh, churches meet on Sunday. That's the Lord's Day. And, and that's what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, if you read that book, uh, John there says, On the first day, or I'm sorry, on the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit. That means John had this vision on a Sunday. That was, that's a pretty interesting thing. Now, the day of the Lord, that's a different thing. And the day of the Lord, refers to the judgment day coming at the end of the time at the end of time so the Lord's Day occurs once a week, first day of the week, every week. The Day of the Lord, Judgment Day, there's only going to be one of those, and we don't know when that's going to be. Uh, might be today, might be tomorrow, might be many centuries from now. Uh, but the Lord's Day is Sunday. The Day of the Lord could be any day. And let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And I think here he uses both terms. The Day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it 
will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Well, I was in error there and not both terms, but that does describe the uh, day of the Lord. And so because that day is coming, we like to encourage everyone to make sure they are uh, uh, prepared for the day of the Lord. And you can do that by uh, meeting on the Lord's day. So uh, good question yep. and uh, hope that clarifies the, the difference. Probably a lot of folks hope he comes on the Lord's Day. Come yeah. yeah. Sunday morning between 10 and 11. And there you might go. be a little extra credit there. If you... <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. A uh, viewer wants to know uh, who was the first person baptized in the New Testament and who was the first one called a Christian? Well, that's an interesting question. It's harder than you would think. You've got to read actually a whole 11 chapters before you find the answer to that. Now, of course, the first uh, baptisms were on the day of Pentecost. There were 3,000 people baptized, but we don't have any names for anybody. So I assume this person wants to know the first person <laughs> whose name we know uh, that was baptized. And you read through the second chapter there and you get to 3,000. You get over to chapter 5 in Acts. And it says more and more were added to their number. So again, we got a large group of people being baptized, but we don't have the name of any one of them. You go over to chapter 8, and it says a lot of Samaritans were baptized down where Philip was. Still don't have a name. Uh, but in the middle of that chapter, we finally get a name, and it's Simon, believe it or not. Simon the sorcerer was the first one we have a name for to be baptized. Uh, in the same chapter, we get the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know his name either. So you go a long ways before you find the first one baptized. Of course, after that we have a number that we know were baptized. Uh, the next one is Saul, actually, in chapter 9. But then you go clear over to chapter 11 and you'll find this verse, uh, Acts 11:26. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Okay, so before that, uh, all the people before that uh, were just called followers of the way or Christ followers or Jesus followers or uh, followers of the Nazarene or among themselves. I think they called themselves believers probably more than anything. Uh, but somebody, and I don't know who, in uh, Antioch uh, said those people uh, are following Jesus, following the Messiah. They're Christians. They're Christ followers. So, uh, evidently that was the first time somebody thought of that term and decided to call all the believers uh, Christians, the followers of Christ. So, uh, interesting question. I had fun reading, see how I couldn't believe it, it took me that far to find uh, the first one named, but it's Simon the Sorcerer as far as I can tell. All right, we're out of time for questions, but uh, we're glad you've been with us for these, and we hope we got to yours. If not, we'll get to it in a, a few weeks probably, and be happy to answer your question. Uh, log on or uh, give us a call, and we'll get to it. We want to make sure we get your trivia question answered today, so let's tackle that one. How many men did Gideon take to war? Well, he ended up with 300, and you can read about that in Judges 7. And an interesting story, God teaching Gideon a lesson about who was going to win the battle. Uh, Gideon asked for volunteers, and what did he get, 39,000 if I remember, I think. He started out with 39,000 people, and God said, that's too many. <laughs> you know, it seems like a weird thing to say when you're going to war. 
Uh, but God even told him the answer. He said, if you win with that many people, you'll think you did it. Uh, so send, send anybody that's afraid, you can send them home. And he did, and uh, we get down to 300 eventually. Glad you've been with us today. Uh, we're going to be back next week with more of your questions. I hope you can be with us then as we help you know your Bible. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.